the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Proverbs 6.19, it says that God hates those who utter lies and those who spread strife in the church. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. And now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. Hey, we're picking up again in the study. This is part two. Let's read in 2 Corinthians 2.1. We're going into chapter 2. It says, But I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one who I made sorrowful? And this is the very thing I wrote you, least when I came, I should have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy would be full. Verse 4, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that I should be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. So he wrote them kind of a stern letter. We're going to talk about this in a minute, you know, about everything that was going on with these people that were coming in with these false accusations and all of that. And so he goes on to say, but if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow, not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one uh, is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority. You know, because you guys got all worked up over this whole thing, and it was starting to tear the church apart. So there was an infliction that was happening. Verse 7, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Least somehow such a one be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So someone was spreading a bunch of rumors and got everyone all stirred up, and he's like saying, well, we need to forgive this guy. It's like, oh, okay. Verse 8, wherefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Verse 9, for to this end also I write that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things, but whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So Satan's the one that caused this whole problem, this whole ruckus, everything that was happening in the church, Satan caused it all. But now we must remember, though, Paul had this special trip from Ephesus to Corinth when these false teachers came in, and they tried to discredit not only Paul, but more importantly, the church and the message that was in the church. And Paul not only made a special trip to Corinth, but he sent a severe letter that he mentions again in verse three and four. Now we don't have a copy of that letter, 
but he mentioned it there, that as Paul states in verse 4, he wrote it with much affliction and anguish, for he had punishment and infliction on those who embraced this uprising that happened in verse 6. And that was good for those of us in church leadership. You know, we are not to allow any false doctrine or heresy to enter the church. That would also include any type of teaching that would cause division among the body of Christ. And so we have to watch this because, you know, people want to come into a thriving church and then they want to promote some weird doctrine. Like I just had someone asking me, oh, I got this person at, you know, my work and they're telling me that I, you know, I have to be baptized. But you can only be baptized in Jesus' name, not the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just Jesus. And and of course, you have to be baptized to be saved. And I'm just like, you know, this, this is crazy. And you can't be filled with the Spirit until you're baptized. And I'm like... Well, why don't you show them Acts chapter 10, when Peter, you know, was taken from Joppa all the way up to Caesarea. And when he got to Caesarea, he walked in to minister to these these, uh, Gentiles that were non-Jews. And and as he was speaking to them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were speaking in tongues, all of these things. And that's when Peter said, well, how can we prevent these from being baptized since they're already filled with the Holy Spirit? So here this church doctrine that this, you know, person's all committed to in this cult is saying, oh, you can't be saved until you're baptized. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit until you're baptized. Well, how come in the Bible, these guys were already filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they got baptized after that? So doesn't that kind of throw a monkey wrench in your doctrine? But but people want to come in, and they want to bring their version of the Scripture. And instead of coming alongside and just being excited that people are Christians, but are you really a Christian? Did you get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? You're only supposed to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you come up with this whole thing. Now they're like, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I didn't do it right. Maybe the Holy Spirit's not in me. It's like, oh, see what happens? And then you have this church that just has, you know, X amount of little believers over here. You have to do it our way or you're not really saved. And it's like, oh, it just is so irritating to me. People get caught up in all of these different things or, you know, they have different philosophies on things. It's just, oh my goodness, you know, it's like, where does it end? So us in church leadership, we are not to allow any false doctrine to enter in and all of these false teachings. And face it, there's always something that people will not like in the church. And so they'll come in and they'll start being little busybodies and they'll start talking about things. We've had many people from the beginning of our church come in and they'll they'll look me in my face and tell me, oh, Pastor, I just love your church. It's like this is like the best thing that's ever happened to me and I'm just growing and thriving in my relationship with God. It's like, oh, that's nice. God bless you. Then they'll turn around. You know, I hate the pastor. You know, he's just an idiot. You know, it's like, and you're just like, why are you here? Like, are you just here to sow discord among the brethren here? Why don't you just go find a cliff and walk off it? I'm just saying nicely, you know, just any cliff you want is fine with me. You know, there's a pretty good size one at Santa Monica, the park, and just, you know, whatever. But, uh, but why would you just purposely cause division? And so, you know, people will say things and they'll be critical of our policies here at the church, you know. Like, here's a policy that I've had people on and off through the years just have a hissy fit over. You know, we say, well, look, we don't want any infants in the sanctuary during the services. And I mean, this would be, well, this is my baby and, and we need to go to church together as a family. I'm like, well, I'm just letting you know that your six-month-old 
is not going to get anything out of my message. Your 18-month-old is not going to get anything out of my message. Your two-year-old is not going to get anything out of my message. You know all they're going to learn? And that church is boring, like, why do we have to sit in here? And then parents are correcting them the whole time. And parents just want to bring him in. And I said, I tell him, I'm like, well, listen, have you thought about the opposite? We have a thriving children's ministry here with teachers that, that love to be there. We, we buy the best curriculum that you can buy to teach these children Christ on their level. Now, obviously, if it's a six-month-old, I mean, they're not, you know, teaching them, but, you know, we have teachers that are in there where they have Christian music playing there. They might be reading them scripture. You know, it's like, Hey, we're, we're trying our best with six month olds, but man, when you get to be like a toddler or two year old, we're actually teaching them and we're trying to develop them and to have this knowledge of God. And then once they get three, four years old, they're starting to memorize scripture. They're doing little projects. Amen. This is not babysitting, okay? And if you have children here, you know, you see the projects that they come home with. You see all of these things that they do because we're establishing a foundation in Christ in their life. But you're trying to tell a parent that, like, look, your child could be developing friendships, godly friendships that they might have all the way through high school, and you're holding them back from that. And they're like, yeah, but I don't want them to go in there. I don't want to leave them in there. Okay, fine. Then you can go into our family room here, which is the forge on Sunday, or you can sit in the foyer. There's TV monitors going on. If it's a baby, we have a mother's room right here. If you ever wonder what this two glass windows right here, that's a one-way glass. It's like, that's a mother's room. You can sit in there with your child, you know, all of these things. But, you know, people, they just won't be happy with anything, and they'll get all mad, and some people have left. I, I, I finally, through all this frustration, I decided I know what we should do here. Just shoot the pastor, okay? Just put, put him out of his misery, and it'll be out of everyone else's misery. But, you know, the thing is, if, if, if you do let the babies come in, and I watch this because I'm up here teaching, and it's like, you know, baby starts acting up over here and cooing and doing this and that, and all the heads are just looking, 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 looking. I mean, it's just huge distraction. So, you know, we have some of these rules here, and, and people want to talk behind my back and all this, like, whatever. You know, we just want people to be ministered to. That's it. The point is, Amen. Obviously, it's hard to please everyone, but the most frustrating thing to me and all the things that happen in the church are when people, again, grumble and complain as they share their grievances with others. Know this in Proverbs six nineteen it says that God hates those who utter lies and those who spread strife in the church. You know, if people have a complaint, look, we are not the perfect church. And if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up, I'm sure. You know? so, so there is no perfect church. We try to be as good as we can be. And we try to do things as right as we can do. But if there's something that you don't like, come up to me. Come up to one of the pastors. You know, let's talk about what is happening here. But we shouldn't murmur. We shouldn't complain to others. The Bible says this about our tongues in James 3.8. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and it's full of deadly poison. Wow, that's a pretty good description of the tongue at times because we can be so sweet and nice at times and then we can just stab someone in the back and throw them under the bus in the next second. Now, I'm pretty sure that none of us like to be talked about behind our back, right? I mean, is that pretty safe to say? We don't like people talking trash about us behind our back. So let's not talk about others behind their back. Yes, people will always have differing opinions on various topics. I remember talking to a man in Huntington Beach and, you know, uh, he was convinced that 
the end of the world was near, that Jesus was coming back. And I'm like, yes, absolutely, I agree with you. Then he went on to say, but Jesus is going to return, you know, like next year. And I'm like, well, uh, I don't think so. That's what I shared with him. I said, we cannot give a date or a time. I mean, he might return next week, and that's fine with me. But you can't give a time like he was given a time like he is going to come back with here. And, you know, Jesus, you know, gave as many signs to look at in the Bible, you know, that we would know that his coming is soon. And, of course, if you're any kind of a student of Bible prophecy, you know, we're sitting on a powder keg right now. Do you see that huge volcano that just exploded uh, in the ocean? And it's like, oh, my goodness. It's like there's just radical things that are happening. And we see many of those signs. We've got wars going on. We have earthquakes. You've got you have volcanoes blowing up. We've got famines in Africa that are very severe. Uh, the Jewish people came back to their homeland on May 14th, 1948. That's a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37. God says, I'm going to bring my people back and and they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit as a whole yet. There's many people living in Israel that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Like Janice is a a Messianic Jew and and she lives most of the year there in Israel. And and she's got many friends that are filled with the Holy Spirit there. But, But as a nation, as a whole, that hasn't happened yet till the fullness of the Gentiles come in. That's when the rapture of the church happens. And then that's when the Holy Spirit will descend on Israel. But the breakdown of morality that we see, Jesus prophesied that with the sexual perversions. He said it's going to be like in the days of Noah. It, the sexual perversion was so bad in Noah's day that God was sorry that he made man. It's like he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in their sexual perversions. Yeah, the many hearts, he said, would wax cold in the last days. Are, are we not waxing cold here? We've got homicides that are off the hook now, people killing one another. Yeah, we, we're going to be heading towards a cashless society. Many nations are already a cashless society, and now we're starting to find it here in America where they don't take cash anymore in some places. It's amazing. You know, when I was over in London a year and a half ago, or two years ago now, every place we went to to eat, no one took cash anymore. It is quite amazing, you know. But there's so many other things that are happening. Yet know this, God never gave us a date. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, but of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. So, You can't give dates and times. I think the Lord's going to come back at any moment. I think he's going to, could he come back in 2022? Yes. 2023? Absolutely. But I don't know. You know, it's like maybe the Lord holds out another few years so more people can come to know him. I don't know. Yet we're told to be on the alerts. We're told to be ready. And I shared that with this man in Huntington Beach. I said, look, you have to be careful what you say because you're right. Jesus is coming back. And it's like from the beginning of time to the end, we're at the end of the end. But we can't give a moment or a time. But getting back to our text, Paul moves on and gives us an incredible account of forgiveness. He said in verse 7 that we should forgive and comfort the one who helped cause this dissension in the church. Like what? This guy caused all kinds of upheaval in the church. You know, this guy should walk the plank. Let's tar and feather him. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's just me. Okay. But he caused this problem in verse 4. Much affliction and anguish is what he said. That's much trouble, anxiety, and distress. Again, if it was me, I think I'd like to take this guy and let him experience some of his own misery and anxiety in his own life. But that's not the case with Paul, and that shouldn't be the case with me either. Why? Because... 
Paul's filled with the same love that God had for us. See, that's how you can know when God's spirit is really taking over your life when you start reacting more like Jesus and less like you when something happens. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 34, you know, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. Because, you know, here we live in a radical city. We live, you know, just everyone's a hothead. Everyone's, you know, like I'm just trying to pull into the parking lot. I got a little late start coming down here. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just trying to hang a left into the parking lot, you know. And it's like, you know, the two lanes stopped to let me in. And this one guy sitting in front of our driveway. Then the car in front of him pulled up. And so I'm like, his window's down. And he's listening to some rock music. And he's in there and he's looking at his phone. I'm like, hey. Hey, could you move? Just move up a little. Hey, hello. And and he was just in another world, you know. And I felt like getting out of the car. Here, maybe you could hear this. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But but it's just, you're just thinking like, oh my goodness. And it's so many things to get frustrated on. But it's like, we, we have to let these things go. But again, how much does the spirit of God have control over our tongue when something's not going the way we want it to go? We're to love one another. We're, we're, we're to forgive one another. Jesus said, this is not what I, uh, don't do just what I say, but do what I do. Because Jesus himself, he lived this out in his own life. I mean, imagine, you know, having your body so whipped and beaten that you couldn't even tell you were a man. You were bludgeoned and marred and beaten and nailed to a cross. And yet, in that time, what did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It kind of looked like they knew what they were doing. They wanted to kill Jesus, and they did it. But it's like they didn't see the bigger picture at all. I wonder if anyone here is harboring in your heart hate for someone. Maybe you have unforgiveness for someone that's hurt you in your heart. Understand, we're commanded to forgive. Jesus says, look, I have forgiven you. Therefore, because I've forgiven you, I want you to forgive others. Now, we have to understand, because I I realize there could be a whole host of horrible things that have happened to you. We forgive not because the person deserves our forgiveness. We have to fully understand that. Like, Like, if this person purposely hurts you, they're a total scumbag, okay? So it's like, it's not that they deserve to be forgiven. But what God is saying is, look, we didn't deserve to be forgiven by him. He has seen everything that we've done. We're no day at the beach. And all he's saying is, I want you to forgive them even as I have forgiven you. And it's like, so that's, it's nothing to do with them deserving. It's just, this is what God's done for us. We should pass on that favor. We forgive because we have been forgiven. But how can I do this? You might ask. Well, it cannot be done on our own. I'll tell you that. Because some of those painful roots run deep in your life. But may I suggest that you seek the Lord's help on this. This doesn't mean that you forgive the person you invite them over to your house for dinner. Hey, can you come to our house for Thanksgiving? Can you come for Christmas? Uh, No, that's not what this means. It just means that I'm going to let it go because when we have that raw unforgiveness in our heart, every time we think of that person, it's like it just, it gives us nightmares. It's just like it churns our gut inside. It gives us ulcers. But we have to ask the Lord to help us, asking him to give us 
his heart instead of our heart for those that have brought pain in our lives. Consider Paul. His own Jewish people turned against him. Remember, Paul was the golden boy. He was going to crush Christianity and get rid of Christianity, but then he got saved, and it didn't work out so good. But he thought that those, all those Pharisees that he grew up in and everything, they thought they, you know, they were his best friends. But then as soon as he turned to Christ, they all tried to kill him. Several times, not just once. Yet listen to Paul's outpouring of love for his fellow Jew, the ones that were trying to kill him. He says in Romans 9, 3, he says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So Paul's saying is like, look, God, if this is possible, I, I just want you to just crush me and curse me. And again, he uses the word anathema, which means I want you to separate me as far as possible from you because I want my enemies to come to know you as my savior. So look what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, send me to hell in a handbasket, but save these people that are trying to cause misery in my life. That'd be like me saying, yes, Lord, take my life and send me to hell. And make sure that Gavin Newsom has a nice little mansion in heaven in my place, you know? It's like, you know, yes, make sure that Nancy Pelosi's next to him, okay? You know, make sure that President Biden and Kamala Harris all have these beautiful mansions in heaven, but send me to hell in a handbasket so they can be saved. I have to be honest, I'm not sure I can pray that prayer, okay? I'm not quite there yet. But that's where the Apostle Paul was. How much more do we need to ask God, oh Lord, help give me your heart for people and not mine. Which brings up our final point, full of his fragrance. Oh, this is sweet here. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them. I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. And he manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Wow. Paul's like, look, I ended up going to Macedonia and I ended up being the sweet aroma, the fragrance of Christ to all those people there. Look, I didn't come when I thought it was going to come, but look how God uses. I mean, this is just crazy here. He goes on in verse 15. He says, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So among Christians and amongst a bunch of heathens in Los Angeles, we are the fragrance of Christ. That's the way it's supposed to be. Verse 16, to the one, an aroma from death to death, to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Who's adequate for that? Verse 17, for we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Wow, this, you don't realize what a privilege it is to open your mouth and share the truth of God with someone. You know, you think no one wants to hear you. You think, man, we're in LA. This is just a, a scum hole on the, on the, in the handbasket going to hell. No, no, yeah, but there's still people here that have ears to hear. And it's like, you'll never know unless you start talking about it. But when you start opening your mouth and talking about it, that's why I, I've coined this phrase here. You know, hey, when's the last time someone told you there's a God in heaven that loves you? Because usually in LA, you walk up to someone, hi, how's it going? Can I tell you about Jesus? 
Whoa! Wall goes up. Boom! Fortified doors. You know, bolts. You know, the locks are. You know, it's like deadbolt, deadbolt, deadbolt. You know, paddle locks. You know, like no, you're not gonna. But when you walk up to someone, like, hey, how's it going? Hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. When's the last time that someone just like looked at you and said, "Man, there's a God in heaven that loves you." It's like it just throws people off. Like, uh, well, maybe never. Well, I want you to know. I want you to know right now that God loves you, that He cares about you. See, you have these words. Now, if that's all it goes, and that's it, it's just over at that, then that's fine. But what if that person's like, "Why? Why would you say that to me?" Well, I just I want you to know that I've come to know Christ who died on the cross for my sins, and He's changed the course and direction of my life. And I want you to know that he can do the same for you. That's all the time we have for our message. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Court Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Court Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Court Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app and online at courtchurchla.org. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.